guess I don't need my pen. Shouldn't be making any changes now. <laughs> a bit late for that. Um, thank you, Ashley, for leading us so well. That was that was great. Um, <laughs> it was serious. <laughs> um, I, no, I really appreciate that. Um, I want me to sit in that of who God is. That place of He is the way maker. He is the one who makes all of this work. So we're still in our series of trying to f- describe who we are as as via what it means to be via apostolica, what it means to be the church. Um, and so we're going to go back to back to Corinth. Um, we've been looking at that book, and we've been uh, just looking at some of the things that Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, um, some of the things he had to say to them about where they were at. Um, so me and Lawrence over the last couple of weeks have been laying out there has been some division in this church. Um, it isn't... You can tell it's not a church that's, in a sense, flourishing. <laughs> they, they've been had some real high points. Um, I mean, Paul came there. There was obviously some momentum. He came and he started this church there. Um, and in this chapter we're going to read, he even calls himself his, their, their father because he was the one who was the original planter of the church in Corinth. And now he's writing to them saying, guys, where did you go wrong? What, what is going on? I'm getting these reports that there is some divisions among you. So it is, it is a church that is divided. So today, as we turn to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be looking at chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 6. Um, if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along. Um, or the words will be on your screen. So in verse 6, we start and it says... I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. Paul being a little facetious here. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Paul uses some fairly strong language there when he's describing himself. I've even heard some people, some scholars say that the word refuse is actually a bit of a swear word. Um, they, it's not used a lot in that time, and it is, it is saying, like, I am feces. We have words for feces that are not necessarily words that we say in church. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Paul is, you can see him saying, the imitators of me, and he's saying, so the church in Corinth has set themselves up as this, they're starting to be divided because they're looking at affluence and power and social standing as they're standing in the church as well. And Paul is saying, if you were really imitators of me, you would see that it is the lowest like if we are followers of Christ, we are the ones who are brought down low. So if you are preaching a different gospel, you're preaching a gospel that is about hierarchy and whoever has the most money and the most power and the most friends is the highest among you, then you're definitely not following the gospel that I preached to you. We're going to start back at the beginning here in verse 6 where it says... Um, that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written. What is written. So we have to put ourselves back in Corinth here. Um, they didn't have the New Testament at this time. Um, what they had was the Old Testament. So these are Gentile believers being grafted in, as the language Paul uses in other, in other passages, into the Jewish tradition that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and became Christianity. Um, so these, they are, but they are coming into this faith that they weren't part of the chosen people of Israel from the beginning. They are being grafted in. And so Paul is saying, but so Paul in saying, follow what, do not go beyond what is written. A lot of that is the, the, um, the Old Testament, which he had quoted five times previous to this in the opening chapters of this book, um, of this letter. So do not go beyond what is written. Um, so now, today, this applies to us as well. Um, that we believe, like, so now we have the New Testament. Me and Wanda are in a class called New Testament Foundations right now, and I feel like there's just so much information that I wanted to put in this, and I, I feel like it's, I'm still just, like, taking it all in, and Wanda should probably correct me if I say something wrong here because she probably took way better notes in class than me. Um, but the Bible is our foundation. So what we're talking about today is looking at a little bit at Scripture and is it um, and stating that it is the foundation that we base our faith upon. It is what we look to when we have questions. It is what our foundation is laid upon. Um, but this can be difficult. Um, we are learning in class that uh, that there was 
when, when, when you look at the New Testament writings in the manuscript, there's 400,000 variances. I think I got that number right. Between the different manuscripts. And so some scholars and authors today will take that number and just say at face value and say, there's 400,000 variances in all these different writings. So can you really trust the Bible? Is it saying the same thing across? Because you have one letter that's saying this, another letter that's saying that, or another manuscript that's saying that. Um, we don't fact check very well in our day. And we, so we take that number and we say, oh, wow, that's a, lot. that's a lot of discrepancy. What do we do about that? Well, the reality is that like, the vast majority of those discrepancies are spelling mistakes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you have to remember there was no copy paste back in this day. There wasn't just okay. Well, I'm going to take Paul's letter and just copy it over here and then print it off or email it to someone. It's it, no. Everything was written by scribes. So, if you wanted to rewrite the letter, now this was the early church. This is like Jesus has recently died resurrected, ascended, and so we're writing all this stuff down and we're looking to what these early apostles, these people that were with Jesus said and what they experienced, and you want that to spread, right? You want it to spread to the other churches, but inevitably what happens is things get missed. Or when you're writing something, even sometimes the scribes would hear something different, right? We hear things different. If you're writing for hours and you're writing word after word, you're probably either going to put um, either your own emphasis on things or you're just going to miss things. Both are very, very possible. Um, we believe that... So from those 400,000, your Bible today probably has about 1,000 variances in it that are put in the notations at the bottom. So a lot of those are... If I look at my Bible right here, there's on this page. Some of these are just language things. Some of them are because a word has different meanings. Every time you translate something, there's never an exact match. So sometimes it's different. But So one of mine says, or brothers or sisters. Um, that's a common one because it often is translated brothers, but it's brothers or sisters depending on the translation. Um, yeah, and it's a lot of just, like, Greek, you have 10,000. So, but there's just, oh yeah, and the number four, some manuscripts add Jesus to, the, to a certain passage. Um, yeah. I know, like, hey, I get, I, if I was a scribe, I'd be like, you know what, just, we should probably just add Jesus in there. I, <laughs> I haven't written Jesus for a little while throw that in there. But what we're saying is that there is a consistency we're looking for that through all of these different translations, through all the different manuscripts, that there is a beyond consistent message between all of them. That we have a Bible that is trustworthy. In verse 15, um, Paul says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. As I said before, Paul was the guy who planted this church. He came to Corinth and planted it. And so, and even, um, actually earlier, includes Apollos in this as well, but there, 
that there are good that there are good guides, but they have tr- they have not very many fathers. That a father looks out for his church. We, in a sense, today have many guides but few fathers as well. And so, what we look to in the faith is, as via, we look to the apostolic fathers. So, who were the guys that were the first? Who were the guys that were there with Jesus? Who Jesus passed on his church to? Forget that. Jesus didn't really start the church in some ways. Well, oh man, I, I was really nervous today. I was going to say something that was totally wrong. And so I'm like watching what I say. But, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, okay. He's the head of the church. <laughs> but you heard what, um, what he said to Peter. He said, I will build, you are the rock in which I will build my church, he says to Peter. Um, that he gave it to the apostles to build. Um, so we look to them in the apostolica. That is what apostolic means, that we look to the early church fathers for our way. And so what does that really mean? Um, it means that we have a faith that is based on especially the creeds. So the creeds were actually a big... Um, the creeds are actually what helped the New Testament canon people who are like deciding what goes in the New Testament. The creeds are actually a big part of what, how they decided because they had the apostles' creeds, the Nicene and the Athanasius, and they were trying to say, okay, what is biblical? What is scripture? What is the consistency that we're going off of here? And so they would use the creeds to say, okay, this letter lines up with this creed. And so... To be apostolic, we look to the early church fathers. When we were in uh, Lethbridge this um, this last November, um, Bishop Todd went through with us uh, our whole our whole logo, and I forgot I was going to put it up there. We don't. It's not. We don't have a slide of it, do we? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't think that's on there, though. Right. Yeah, it's on the sermon series on the website if you want to see our crest. Um, but on the one side, um, on the right side of our crest is a clasped Bible. And this is what some of what Todd talked about when we were there. And he said, because we love Christ, we love the holy scriptures that reveal Christ and his gospel. It is clasped because we need the Spirit of God working through the Church of God, and in brackets says the Church Fathers, the Creeds, the Ecumenical Councils, and the Christian Community to help us arrive at the true meaning of the Word of God. So we have the Word of God, and so for a lot of my life, I would have grown up with believing that all you need is the Bible, and you go away, you interpret it, and that's that's it. The Bible is absolutely everything you need. But the problem, what I found with that is, we I don't have a context for when it was written. I don't have an understanding of that culture. I don't understand the writers. There's so much things that are going on there that I need other writings to put that into context. 
and to help me come to the true meaning. What did those guys actually mean when they were saying this? So the apostolic fathers helped that. And today, um, so I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lay this foundation. We as, we, we want our apostolic faith to be a foundation for um, for which to start from. Our whole world seems to be shifting and moving and contorting in ways that um, is consistently unstable. When I look at my faith, um, there'll be a lot of guides out there, as Paul is saying in this passage, there's a lot of guides out there that aren't going to lead you the right way. But our faith isn't built on something that we are making up. It doesn't start with us. Um, it started with Jesus and the early apostles, and we hold to those teachings. We're not innovators in Via. We don't want to come up with something new. We'll often hear, you often hear us say that we don't, um, in some ways you don't get fresh teaching in some ways because we're, we want the old ways. We want the faith that has been passed down through the centuries that has stood the test of time. It's not something that is just thought up in the current age. Um, So how do we know as followers of Jesus, as people in this church, in this body, living in our... um, in a globalized world where everything is at our fingertips and we have countless guides. So Paul is saying you have many guides, not many fathers. How do we know what is and is not apostolic? How do we know what is and is not what we would call orthodox or relating to the original message of Jesus Christ? It can it can be tough because it is very easy and there is a lot of there are a lot of people out there using Christian language but not preaching a true Orthodox gospel. Um, and they have a lot of incentives to do it. There's a lot of money to be made by doing it. Um, Christians read a lot more than the average person. There is a big market for people who, um, who are authors who can use Christian language and sell a different message. Um, so how do we know where we? How do we know that what we're taking in is really the gospel? I would say first and foremost um, that we need to be people who know the gospel for ourselves. We have the New Testament, and we need to be spending time with it and reading it. That it just becomes this second nature to us. I was, you probably heard this analogy before, and I don't know if I've said it before, but um, how they tell um, people in a bank to tell if it's a counterfeit, right? There are thousands of counterfeits out there, right? So how do you know? You don't, you don't teach them all the different counterfeits and all the different ways that they can change a bill to make it, you know, all the different discrepancies. You spend time with the real thing. 
And as you feel it, uh, there's a feel to it. There's probably even a smell to it. There's a look to it that as soon as you pick up a counterfeit bill, that you know something is wrong. There are a lot of times, like we need to be spending time, especially, I'd say especially in the four Gospels, to know Jesus and his message, to let it transform us and to be living in that place consistently. Because I think if we do that, then we will be able to spot when something is off. It won't be, it won't come at us by surprise and it won't be like, wow, man, that's, that's this new thing I haven't thought of before. Maybe I should follow that and be like, is that, did, did Jesus talk about that? Is, is that consistent with his gospel? Is that consistent with what he taught? We need to be people who are grounded and know it and spend time in it, walk in it. Second thing I've found that we need to do or for spotting um, wrong teaching, we call them false prophet, as Jesus does in Matthew 7, which we're going to look at here in a second, is to look for the fruit of their message. Um, so just, just turn with me to Matthew 7. I think it's going to be up on the screen. So starting at verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is at the end of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's talking about false prophets, and he's warning people that there is going to be a lot of people that try to lead you astray. Um, look, to, look to their fruit. There's some things that I've listened to, some things that I've just heard of, some things I don't even need to read or listen to because I know, because I've seen their fruit. Um, We have an idea that I need to take, there's this nagging thing in the back of my mind where I feel like I need to know all the different angles and if it's information then it's neutral for some reason in my mind, I think that, that Information can't hurt me. I can just gain from it, and I can learn, and I can know more about it. And, and, um, what am I trying to say here? trying to conquer this fear that I'm going to sound like I'm someone who's anti-learning or, <laughs> or like anti-reading or studying stuff, which I'm not. I'm just very aware of the consequences of following false teachers because I've seen it in friends and other people involved in, in 
um, people around me that have decided to follow something that wasn't the gospel. And I'm convinced that when we are surrounding ourselves um, with people like... I'm going to just do it. Um, if we're surrounding ourselves with podcasts like The Liturgists, um, if we're surrounding ourselves with authors like Richard Rohr or Pete Enns, I... See, I hesitate to say it because I feel like there's this like forbidden section of the library kind of thing where you're like, now I want to know what's over there. I, I, I honestly, I haven't even read anything by those guys. I don't need to. I, and that, I feel like even as I say that, I'm like, I don't, that, that feels a little bit wrong to me because I'm like, well, I should probably find out for myself. There's this big thing like, no, you need to know for yourself. You need to know all the options. And I'm saying, I, I'm looking at the fruit of the people who go down that path and it leads to doubt, skepticism, and eventually death of faith. I've seen it a lot. We need to be able to look and say, you know what, I realize that this is not good for me. That it is not healthy for my faith. Information isn't always unbiased. Information isn't always safe. Ideas have consequences. And if we are surrounding ourselves with this teaching, and especially if you're apart from the gospel, in some ways, if you're in the gospel and if you are surrounded by it, you're going to spot that really fast and say, you know what, this guy's out to lunch because I know the gospel and that doesn't make sense. But what scares me is when people just go to that and they say, oh, these guys are using a lot of biblical language. They're probably okay. And what ends up happening is it leads to doubt and despair. Um, A question to ask is, is this teaching leading me towards love, peace, joy, fruit that basically the fruits of the Spirit, and fullness in Jesus? Is it making me want to obey Jesus' commands? Is it making me want to follow him? Or is it leading me to doubt, fear, and skepticism? I find if, <laughs> if we spend too much time, if I spend too much time, I have listened to a few liturgist podcasts and I had to stop because it just, it felt like I was like, you know, feeling of like getting slimed. You're just like, it's like, oh man, like I, 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 I spend time in here and I, I instantly start questioning. I start doubting. It starts affecting me. And even if I'm like, this isn't right, it's like, I, I can't be surrounded by this. And this analogy I had, and I know I use Jackson's shop a lot as analogies, but I'm going to do one more. Um, if you don't know Jackson's shop, it is a wood shop. Um, he builds cabinets in there, and but if you if you go in there because he's working in there and there's a lot of cutting going on, there is dust everywhere. So to me, like, yeah, Mikey's still got some on him right now. <laughs> Um, but it's like walking into Jack's shop and expecting not to get MDF dust on you. It, you, you walk in there and it's going to happen it, be, because, because that's what 
that's his shop. It's what's going on. And if we are spending time with things that are contrary to the gospel and making that our diet and standing in that space, we are going to get covered. We need to be very careful about this. And I, I know and maybe it just seem, sounds like alarmist or I'm overreacting, but I've had too many friends that have fallen away from faith because of them. I've had too many friends that have chosen not fullness of life in Jesus, but have embraced their doubts and the skepticism that comes with some of these things. And I hurt for those people as pastors. I hurt as a friend because I often think of what Jesus said, and he said I, that I will lose none that you have given me when he's talking to the Father. And sometimes I feel as a pastor myself now, I'm like, don't let me lose those that you've given. Don't let me lose the people that are around me. And I see this so often that I'm, it makes me nervous and it makes me worried because I know that there's, I'm sure people watching and listening to this right now have read books by those guys have listened to the liturgist podcast and i would just say be very careful if you do need to look at it if you do need to read it if you do need to listen to it you better be having a steady dose of the gospel at the same time you you, you better be you better be in your bible listening to god as he speaks to you through his word because that is our foundation of what we believe and you need to be spending time in there and i hope I know that God will be with you in that. Um, I know that He will be walking through that journey with you if you if you really need to if you really need to be reading that. I I, I wouldn't do it. Um, because there is so much better out there. <laughs> there's there, there's there's better teaching that will lead to life and fullness. There is a better way that will lead to what some others call human flourishing. I love that language of this fullness of life in Jesus, that he came and said, I want you to have life and life to the full. That there would be, that it would be, you would surround yourself with teaching, with a scripture that leads you to that life. So as we come to the table, we're coming to a place of that this is something that has been done through the ages. It's not something that we started. We didn't just start doing sacramental things again because we thought it was cool. Um, but because we are aligning ourselves with the church through the centuries. This is something that Jesus said to do in the gospel. And we are coming back and we're saying, no, we're going to submit to that authority. We're going to submit to the authority of what he says and what his word says and the truth that he left with his apostles. So when you join us at the table today, come. Come and join in that flow and that stream of the church that has been flowing from the time of Jesus and even before um, Just come and enter in. And, then rec- and see the Father receiving you with open arms.